This is how we overcome We're moving out here We're done Reaching to the world Arms open Arms open Yeah This is how we Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk and Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen, risen indeed. indeed. <laughs> uh, I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And here in this Easter tide, we are here to tie up a bow, kind of, on the series we began once upon a time at the beginning of Lent, but also to carry it forward. We have been looking so far at practices that somebody might take up in the season of Lent, like fasting or almsgiving or prayer or rearranging your use of time. And last week we talked about Holy Week and how that's sort of a communal faith practice together. What are we going to talk about now? Where are we going to go today, Sarah? We're going to talk about how we carry what we have learned in this Lenten practice of doing faith practices forward to the rest of our life, right? Because there are certainly aspects of these Lenten faith practices that do not need to stay within those 40 days of Lent. They are something that we can continue to do. Um, And then there are other things that we can just set aside until next Lent. They'll still be there waiting for us. I appreciate your way of framing it that way in that sort of broad, you might or might not continue in some form what you've done. And I think setting the tone that way helps avoid what we've tried to avoid this whole series of treating Lent as one more box to check on your religion car. Like, okay, I did this thing. But instead, if it's, oh, having come through this, what have I learned? And what changes do I want to make? Or who will I be moving forward that that keeps it open-ended and forces us to do the difficult work of, yeah, what what does this say about who I become moving forward? Not just for a season, but forever. Yeah. So, um, okay. So my faith practice for this Lent, um, that we are recording this episode in Lent, the week of Lent three, we are working ahead to give ourselves an easier time of like Holy Week and stuff. Um, But my faith practice has been for Lent, a prayer journal, like trying to write down my prayers. And it's one of those things where I set out with the intention of I was going to do this every day. It's been three weeks. I have not done it every day. And there's a part of me that really wants to beat myself up about that of like, come on, you can't even like set aside 10 minutes a day to write in your journal. Like, come on, what's wrong with you? And then there's another part of me that goes, no, I haven't set aside 10 minutes to write my prayers. That's not to say that I haven't been praying, but they're just not written. Um, But also it's helped me open my eyes about what my prayer life is like right now and what are some of the things that I really connect with um what things do I not connect with like I'm realizing now that we're in week three of this I don't like writing in my journal because my hand doesn't write as fast as my brain and so like as we're in Lent three I'm trying a different format of writing my prayers, which is typing, because I can type a whole lot faster than I can write. And it's more legible. So win-win all around. Um, But like, this is something that I'm learning about myself. And I don't think I would have learned it without trying this practice. Like, I like writing out my prayers. I like 
that it forces me to slow down a bit. Um, but that's also to say, I don't like that the actual writing with my hand and a pen, that's too slow. So I need to find this happy medium middle ground, which I think typing is going to maybe help me achieve. And then it sounds to me like as I'm hearing you process this, then moving forward out of this season of Lent in the future, you might or might not make it a practice of with any regularity. You might you might decide, you know what, I'm going to keep for the consistency of it once a week to actually take time to write out. And that maybe is easier to manage or to keep the commitment of, especially if you don't make it the same day every week. But once a week, I got to find time to do it. But that maybe takes off the pressure of it's got to be every day because sometimes life yeah. happens, um, but also gives you the ability to go. But not everything I pray needs to be written down. Sometimes, honestly, the prayer is this sort of half formed like, dear Lord, help me in this traffic jam to not say words that I want to regret or you know, something <laughs> like it's Sometimes they're not things that are need to be preserved for pro posterity. And maybe that's what, I, I don't know about you, but like sometimes I wrestle in the question about writing prayers of like. Why do I want a record of this? And is it that I will come back later on and it's important for me to see uh, what I wrote at another time in life? Is it that I think I have this important thing that will last forever? Or is it more like I need to slow down in the act of thinking, what is it I need to say? I need to be slowed down by writing it down. But like, depending on how you answer that might depend on how you move forward with, with writing prayers down and whether it's something that's, this is for somebody else or nope, this is only for me, or it's not even for future me. I'm going to get rid of it at some point because I don't want it to become um albatross around my neck. Those are all very good questions, which I had not considered. And now I'm probably <laughs> going to be wrestling with. Because, <laughs> yeah, I was definitely coming across it as I want to slow myself down, but clearly not as slow as like writing. Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like, because some of my prayers are just a list of people that I'm yeah. praying for, not necessarily even any details, sometimes some details. Um, and some of it's stuff that like, yeah, I wouldn't really want anybody to like, read, like, yeah. it's just between mm -hmm. me and God. Um, yeah. But it's all in this very nice notebook that I don't want to rip pages out of. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's funny, too, because like, I don't know if, if either of you have found this helpful in reading other people, but every so often I'll come across collections of other written prayers by other people that I really, really treasure. Like uh, I got a collection back in seminar of Walter Brueggemann's prayers that he some were written like to go along with a lecture for whatever day at, at the seminary or, or uh, divinity school he was teaching at. Uh, I've got a collection of Stanley Howarross's prayers. Um, and then I've also got, I've been waiting through for a long time, um, the diaries of Dorothy Day. And, um, so she was the, uh, founder of the Catholic Worker. And in her diaries, uh, you'll find sometimes where it's literally just like a mundane, here's what I had for lunch and here's who I met with. And then sometimes it will expound in this beautiful reflection. And sometimes it'll be, here's what I prayed for today. And to think, I'm not sure when she wrote it down, she was thinking it'd be published. But at some point, she also had to realize, people cared enough about what she thought that, yeah, anything she wrote could be somebody else might read one day. And that's a weird, uh, it can be valuable to read somebody else's words, even when they are prayers, mm -hmm. you know, prayerful words. And then sometimes it feels like 
almost prurient, almost like, should I be reading about what they, you know, this person's, you know, prayer of complaint about some person they didn't like? That feels like, ooh, maybe this isn't for me to know. Um, but like how how we deal with the way prayers are are preserved and handed on to other people is is curious. Yeah. Jane Austen has a collection of prayers. Oh, right? wow. And, like, cool. she's, she's not somebody that I would normally think of, of like, to, to go to because she mm-hmm. didn't really you know, she didn't work for the church. She wasn't a theologian. She was a novelist, but she's an excellent writer and mm-hmm. her prayers are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a piece for me too, about even how I engage with prayers that are written differently. And that I, I don't, I don't think that God cares at one level about whether prayers are eloquent or not. Um, And there's something lovely and honest about that sort of, just sort of rough, honest, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, like in Jesus' famous parable. But also, when you when you learn from the way somebody else has wrestled with their relationship with God and put things into words, sometimes you discover, yeah, I didn't have the words for it. But the way they said it, it turns out I'm not the only one who's ever felt that way. And boy, it's helped. Or sometimes you discover the way somebody else approaches a situation or a topic or something, and they come at it so differently, like, you're, oh, my goodness, I was so narrow in my focus. Here's what I thought. And this person expanded my vision in a whole different way. It can be mm-hmm. really, really helpful as a practice as well that we didn't even talk about this Lent about reading somebody else's prayers and letting that shape us but that's a whole other way to take Mm -hmm. prayer moving forward out of Lent that might be something to pass along to folks who are listening is that if you find that there are writers or authors or for that matter great theologians of the past or you know ancient church fathers and mothers as well who you are intrigued by a lot of times at least some will have written and someone will have compiled prayers that they've written and that's a whole other way to engage with their writing or their spirituality and that could be a cool way to carry on the idea without feeling like it was an everyday discipline in lent it could just be an ongoing thing did you uh steve ever have hank langneck as a preaching professor i did in fact have hank langneck as a preaching professor he had this he i think he had like a google calendar or something of everybody's like like oh today we we remember so and so on the anniversary of their death Uh and then he would like read something from there that was really topical about Mm -hmm. that person or about what was even like oh this is what this person said about this time of church year that we find ourselves in right now and it was it was like I always kind of wished that he would publish this as a collection of like Mm. January 1st this person this is what they had to contribute this is like a prayer or like something that they wrote January 2nd this person because like I always thought that was such a cool thing that he did that he would every day remember this is the day somebody died do you have something important to say do either of you know the book um Common Prayer that was put together by Shane Claiborne yeah. and Jonathan <laughs> Wilson Hartgrove. Um, so like in the subtitle is a liturgy for ordinary radicals. It's sort of like mm-hmm. people who don't know who, who are like fans from a distance of liturgy, but like it's not their native language because uh, it's like I look through it and go, oh, no, we, we got even more liturgies in our tradition than you've got. But like it's written with like daily uh, pieces that include every day. 
who who is someone from the yeah. 2000 year history of the church who's died on this day and a short either piece of what their life was about or what they did or a quote of theirs or a prayer of theirs and it's written broadly with the broad brushstrokes of the church's year around it too um and i've found it also again a really helpful tool uh, throughout the non-Lent part of the year, where I feel like I've got lots of structure handed to me in Lent, but in other parts of the year, mm-hmm. I'm sort of looking for a good place to latch on. And it's that same, for me, it scratches that same itch that you're mentioning, Sarah, that I got from Hank Langneck back in, in seminary days. And it's just a short little piece, so it's not like it's a long study or biography. But yeah, I, I really, I commend that book too. And I, what I really appreciate about that book, and I've never made it the whole way through, I've started it several times and just kind of, um is it's not just the ancient church right there's a lot of very modern saints in it as well um which are just as important i think to the history and and the faith and the community of the church as an augustine and yeah you know yeah those that are from the early hundreds exact to me that's one of the things i find so helpful about a collection like that and the way that that changes my theology and ecclesiology that it's not just the goal Mm -hmm. of the church to preserve what people said up to the year 325 AD, and then we stopped and then we just how do we hold on to that but more but there continue to be voices that we have to learn from who keep saying things that maybe nobody ever quite said this way before so it's not just uh we we like modern theologians for the way they can exactly parrot Martin Luther or John Wesley, you know, but no, there are new contributions to be made and new things that need to be said. So yeah, a collection that's got um, Perpetua and Felicity alongside Desmond Tutu, um, mm-hmm. that's a cool kind of a collection. And I mean, I know the Catholic Church, I mean, every single day of the year is some, some saint's day. Right. So I mean, that, but again, those tend to be nothing against our Catholic brothers and sisters, they tend to be those older voices in the faith. Right, right. Um, but I mean, that might be a starting point to find, you know, I'm sure there's resources, Catholic resources about, you know, saints days and things like that. Sure, sure. And I, I think this is one of those tensions in the wider conversation about the how we use the year, how we communicate through time our faith. And that, you know, it, like, I, I think about the 1500s uh, reformers, like the, the Martin Luther's and others in his era, and the question about how much of that church year they held on to or didn't. And part of Luther's emphasis was to hold on to the festivals that were tied to the life of Jesus and the early witness of the early church, and not a bunch of other people who had lived centuries later, because it was so easy to turn that into, here are the all-stars, you should be like them, instead of, here's Jesus, here's what he did for you, you're mm-hmm. so beloved. And I get that impulse of, like, I, I get the idea of the center of our faith really should be on Jesus. And in fact, in particular, the Jesus who went to the cross and resurrection for us, that's at this at the heart. And that if we get distracted with, and here's another random person you'll ever hear about again. And here's another random, it's easy to lose sight of that. But if, if you've never had that sense of being connected to the wider church through time and space, sometimes you can get real, real myopic that the church is just people like me in my local congregation. And we need the reminder of there've been a lot of people doing this in a lot of different places with a lot of different voices. Um, that's valuable too. Are there other faith practices we've covered so far in Lent that might go through some kind of a transformation out the other side in Easter tide? I would say fasting probably. Okay, talk about like, that. Because I feel like if you fast in the same way, always, continually, my fear is that it will lose 
that sense of giving up because now mm. it's just something you don't do or have anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, so a couple of years ago now, two, two years ago now, um, I was diagnosed with corn intolerance. I can't, my body doesn't process corn. And so if I try to eat corn, I get really sick. And so I've had to virtually give up corn. Like I no longer eat corn on purpose, except for mm-hmm. maybe once a year on my birthday, um, my spouse will take me out to a Mexican restaurant and I'll eat whatever <laughs> I want. And then we'll go to the movies and I'll eat a big bag of popcorn. And then I'm just miserable for the next week. <laughs> like, I made that decision. And then that's my birthday gift to myself is to feel normal for a couple mm-hmm. of hours until mm-hmm. um, usually about halfway through the movie, my mouth is on fire. And <laughs> oh, no. Oh um, no. So, but like I, I go into it knowing this, right? Um, the rest of the time, if I eat corn, it's because I didn't realize that I that the corn was in the dish in some way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in, in in there's an ingredient in the dish that has corn in it somehow. Right. But like because it's now been years of me having this specific diet it's a completely different thing, right? Yeah. Like it's no longer, I don't generally crave those foods anymore. It's not a sacrifice. This is mm-hmm. just an inconvenience at best, but otherwise yeah. this is just my diet. It's what I yeah. do. It's what I mm-hmm. eat. So like if, you, like, if you gave up social media for Lent, you might decide to not go back to social media ever, like realizing that social media is not healthy for you right now. And you're just Mm -hmm. going to continue not giving it up. But in which case, I'm not sure that that's a fast anymore. That's just you gave up social media. Right. And so I think that fasting is something that needs to continue to evolve if you decide to continue it in some way, like, Mm -hmm. Like, for example, like fasting at its very basic is you've just completely like stopped eating. You can't always be not eating. Right. Because otherwise you die. Right. So it mm-hmm. has to change. Um, so, yeah, I think fasting by its very nature is something that has to change at some time point. Bound. Otherwise yeah. it becomes something entirely different. Yeah. To me, this almost feels like and this might be one of those half formed thoughts. So forgive me. But like. The transition that we all made um, when COVID hit and then in the sort of lessening and it felt like, okay, for a while it was very, very clear we were not doing anything or we were, you know, it it was locked down. And then there came a point of opening up and some things we went back to immediately and some things like, oh, well, you know what, maybe this practice is going to, we're going to keep doing, you know, washing our hands extra for a while, not just because of COVID, but turns out that's a good practice all, all around or uh, like I think about even now going into the hospital where it's the protocol locally here is still to wear a mask in the hospital, even if I'm not in other places. And for me, there's that like, I'm okay if that stays for a long, long time, because man, that makes a lot of sense. COVID may come mm-hmm. and go, but lots of other things. And I don't want to infect someone I'm visiting with the flu or anything else that makes sense. And, but also realizing that becomes a change. It's, it's no longer pandemic. It's more, this is a broader protocol change about what things I do in some places or in others in the same way that some things that were really intense for the 40 days of Lent we might go okay don't have to be quite so intense now but what do I learn or how do I carry it forward and some things will open up and some things will change I want to counter a little bit though Sarah on that idea of fasting 
Um, sure. Because if you're fasting from some a specific thing, like your corn intolerance or from social media, and, and like you end up just giving that up for whatever reason, yes, I get it. Like that just becomes kind of your lifestyle now. But like to fast from a meal or fast for a day out of the week, I, I don't know. I've never been one to do that for beyond a semester's worth of time frame. So like three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even then it wasn't quite weekly. It was part of a practice of a spiritual warfare class I was in. But I think that that kind of fasting, not from a specific item like chocolate or something during Lent or social media, but fasting from a meal still can give you something. Yeah you know, over a longer period of time than just 40 days. Yeah. And, and sure, there it's sure. almost, I... go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. Well, I was, I was just going to say it's what, what, what that does to me is it keeps that sense of the breaking up the, the, it's, it's the, the change, the moving from having it to not having it, except you've made it now a weekly rhythm of six days. I will have the usual meat and then the, the mm-hmm. seventh day I'll skip lunch or whatever. It still has that sense of, it's almost like it's the discontinuity that has the power to it. It's where there's something that breaks yeah. the pattern um, that changes things. For me in my head, fasting is super self-sacrificial and something that like is hard and takes like really intense intentionality mm-hmm. and so I think for me it it changes from fasting to a, another type of practice when it's no longer hard when it's mm-hmm. no longer that self-sacrificial so yeah. in my head and this is just me and how I'm defining it and which I think is a little bit like um splitting hairs is that once it becomes part of your rhythm, once it becomes part of your just, this is what I do every week, then to me, that's no longer a fast. That's another type of practice. Hmm. And I Hmm. think that, and I think that we're probably like on the same page of like that. Yeah. Yeah, this is a practice. It's good. This is a good practice to do. It's just, I think in my head, and where my scale is of fast or not a fast is it changes to mm. something else. It's almost like when something becomes the new normal and you stop thinking of it as a yeah. change. It's, no, now there's the new normal. But yeah, is it different from what I was doing before? Yeah. But now it's it's ritual. It's it's become habitual enough that you call it the new yeah. normal, I guess. Yeah. And, and maybe I'm just thinking that the purpose typically of fasting is then to spend that time in study or in prayer. And so then maybe what you're studying or praying for might change. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And though, so then how long you fast for, you know, maybe, maybe you're fasting one day a week, but mm-hmm. then you feel like you're called to fast for a couple of days because of, because something is going on mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. specifically that you, you just really need God's guidance for like an Esther kind of situation, hopefully not that severe, but yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so but yeah, I, we're probably just splitting hairs over. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're completely agreeing on everything except for terminology. And that's it? because yeah. in my head, I have it defined slightly different than you, which I think is fine. Because yeah. yeah. ultimately, I think we're on the same page, just vocabulary. <laughs> I was listening to a radio program, maybe uh, The Hidden Brain a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about... Uh, what they sometimes call the hedonic treadmill 
And the idea is uh, hedonic, the same root that we get hedonism from. So like things that give you pleasure and the things that we do consistently that give us pleasure um, have a way of losing their ability to give us pleasure if you do them all the time. So like this was an entirely an entirely a secular brain science kind of a, a program. So nothing new with church, nothing new with Lent, any of that. But the church turned to me was like, hey, this is why we've been doing Lent for 2000 years or however, you know, <laughs> um, but the and they, they go on to talk about like uh, they've done science, uh, science experiments where if you give one group of people chocolate every day uh, and they have it literally every day, same piece of chocolate every day, their ratings of how much they enjoy it actually declines over time. The chocolate hasn't changed, but they're used to it. It it provides less pleasure than the group that has had intermittent times of you don't get it, and then it becomes this sort of special mm -hmm. thing. And so the idea of being stuck doing the same things over and over again, but not getting anywhere, it's not actually providing enjoyment, um, and to to consider that like sometimes in our spiritual lives, that same principle is there that like it's when you do something that new for a season that it has power because it's shaking things up. And when it becomes a new normal, it the way it affects you changes. So it may still be valuable, but it changes the same way that like you stop appreciating something if you've got it all the time. But if for a while you've had to live without mm -hmm. it, um, you know, uh, when, when you move away from your family and have to, uh, the relationship changes and you see them differently or less frequently, you have a way of savoring getting to be around them, ideally. <laughs> um, or, you know, uh, something that you're not able to do frequently and then you can do it once in a while. It has a way of being more pleasurable there. I think there's something to that in a, in a spiritual dimension as well, that things that we get used to, we have a way of taking for granted and the things that get broken up of, I couldn't do this for a while, or I chose for a while to refrain from when you are able to resume or go back to what the old was or whatever. It has a way of magnifying your appreciation, I guess. All this is to say that whatever things we've done in this season of Lent aren't done, like check it off the list, you're finished, but rather mm -hmm. it's an ongoing, how's God continuing to shape me in the future? And I guess that means there's more conversation for us to have in new conversation, new series and new episodes that uh, we'll be picking up with next time. So we invite you to be with us next week here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you.